Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm delighted to share this series is in partnership with Heck. Being an independent and family-owned business, they pull out all the stops to bring that farmer's market quality to the supermarket shelf. If you believe that healthy eating is expensive, you're not alone. The BBC say up to 80% of the UK struggle to afford healthy food. But let me assure you, it just isn't true. And importantly, cheap does not necessarily mean unhealthy. Yet one food I cannot defend is cheap sausages. You know the ones I mean. Seriously, buy the food you can afford and enjoy it. But if you love sausages, you'll love heck. There's chicken, pork, veggie and all sorts of varieties in your local supermarket or check out heckfood.co.uk. And remember, when it comes to sausages, the healthiest tend to be those with a high meat or veg content because it usually means there's less unnecessary stuff being used to bulk them out. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic and author of Renourish and Top of Your Game. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. We are under so much pressure to be happy. The market has exploded with self-help books and we see post after post on Instagram telling us to embrace our lives to the full. But is it truly possible to be happy all the time? Are human emotions like sadness and anger to be avoided at all costs or are they in fact a fundamental component of human nature? And how can we be told to be happy 24-7 when in the same breath we're also told not to be ashamed of negative emotions? Either way, with depression rates at an all-time high and stress levels surging, it seems we haven't quite got happiness figured out. Joining me to discuss the science behind happiness is Paul Dolan, professor of behavioral science and expert on human behavior and happiness, to understand what truly makes us happy. Hello, Professor Dolan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving your time to come on the podcast today. And I think I want to start by saying the ultimate question. Yeah. Is it really possible to make ourselves happy? Or is it out of our control? 
Okay, well, that's a good place to start. Mm. Why don't you start with an easy one? Honestly, I know, wow. I okay, know. so um, of course, there's going to be differences across individuals by genes, by temperament, just simply, you know, we all experience that in our everyday lives, don't we? Some people mm. that we know are just naturally happier than others. Mm-hmm. But irrespective of your baseline, there are things that each of us can do to be happier. And actually, most of what I argue is in actually what you do. It is what you do to be happier. Um, not not so much ways in which you think yourself happier, but by doing stuff, by... Yeah. Um, well, we can talk about some of those things yeah. if you want, but it's a, it's a much more of an action-based okay. approach to happiness. Which is interesting because is there a way that we can check? I mean, how do you know what is actually meant by happiness? What is the kind of definition? Is it to do with our brains or...? Well, it's how? about how we feel. Yeah. So um, I argue in my first book, Happiness by Design, that it's about the flow of pleasure and purpose. Yeah. So experiences that we have that feel like they're fun, mm. uh, but also some things that we do that feel fulfilling. Yeah. Um, and happy lives are ones that then find the right balance for that individual, because it's going to clearly differ across people, that find the right balance between pleasure and purpose, between fun and fulfillment. It's so interesting you say that. And what you said, actually, just as we started, that it's an action. Because sometimes I find myself on a day when um, it's a bit more of a struggle. I'm an ex-performer, but I can very quickly switch into, I don't know, almost making myself happier, like you say, kind of imagining that I can become it and then I do yeah so if you I mean if you look at if you think about the self-help uh industry because mm. it is an industry right it's a mm. massive massive industry mm. um those books sell so many copies because they don't work because yes. of course you buy one and it says things like be positive well you kind of know that right mm. but how do you do it it's about mm. implementing those intentions and and just kind of having the desire or the intention or the belief mm. to be happier isn't going to work. It's going to it's going to need you to do stuff, yeah. engage in activities, yeah. you know, spend time with people that you like being with. Some of these things yeah. are really obvious insights, but they get over, but, but often get overlooked uh, as we kind of get caught up in the daily machinations of life. Well, we do, and I was also reading that the Scandinavian countries apparently are the happiest in the world. So, what actually makes these countries so happy then, and why haven't we got it right in the UK? Is it their lifestyle? Well, so one thing that's worth, so I'm interested in measurement of happiness as well yes. as what things affect it. So when we talk about Scandinavians, for example, being happiest, it's typically on measures where we ask people overall, how satisfied are you with your life these days? So it's a very simple global question about life overall mm-hmm. and not necessarily about how people are feeling moment to moment. So whilst those data are helpful sometimes, um, I don't think they speak directly to the kind of conversation that we're having about yeah. happiness and about what people do and how they feel. Yeah. And also there are huge translational issues, right? So the word happiness in one language might not mean the same thing in another language. Oh. Um, and there's variation by the way in which you ask the question, whether you ask people over the phone or face-to-face. So mm. we need to be careful about drawing comparisons across nations based on those kinds of data. Yeah. And particularly also in, in the life satisfaction data, when, when I ask you overall how satisfied you are with your life, you're going to construct a narrative about the things that you think right. should make you happy. Straight away, I think, um, how am I of my life? My work, my exactly. relationships? Exactly, and, that's, and, I, and mm. I talk a lot more about that in my second book, Happy, happy Ever After, yeah. which is about these narratives that you kind of are expected to have achieved in order to be a grown-up or to be a successful person, mm. right? So you're you know, meant to be wealthy, successful, the clever. Norms in society. Get married, mm. have children, all these things that are expected of you. And so in those evaluations of life, there's going to be a large part of that 
tick box, if you like, that have I achieved these things that are yeah. expected of me? And and sometimes they're very weakly associated with happiness, with how people feel day to day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you know where the UK sits then in this? I don't know list of ratings. Yeah, as I say, I'm not. I'm not a big. I'm not a huge fan no. of these international <laughs> comparisons. So you know, we kind of do as with most things, fair to middling. Yeah, <laughs> kind nice of, standard sort of British, English. Yeah, British way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And according to the um, to the World Health Organization, so I've been doing a little bit of research. You have been doing some research, haven't you? You've been I, I know. Up on this stuff, I know. You? You're going to know more about this than I do. <laughs> we are an evidence based podcast, <laughs> but more than 300 million people suffer with depression globally, and it's on the rise. So when you've just said about actioning things and having a societal norm, what do you think is making us less happy than we used to be if it's always been the same? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's really difficult to make those comparisons across time because, of course, not only do we change the way that we measure things, Mm. what people report as being depression is different across different um, cohorts. And so... So again, you know, it's kind of a boring answer, but we need to be careful about how we interpret those data. But insofar as depression is on the increase, then, um, you know, it's interesting, as you say, to kind of explore um, some of the reasons why. I think we we, we, we are caught, and this is what the second book's much more about, we are caught in these narratives about what we ought to have done with yeah. our lives yeah. in order to be happy and, mm. um, you know, get a good job, um, yeah. get married, have kids, all these things that are mm. kind of expected of you. And, and for a lot of people... <laughs> Those things don't make them happy. And, no. And, 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 and there was a there was a book, um, I don't know, back in the 80s called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I actually argue that everything is actually in the small stuff, you see, because whilst we're, whilst we're um, motivated by and striving towards success, for example, you know, working long hours or, you know, trying to get uh, on at work, we're, we're, we're often trading off some of the things in our daily experiences that would make us feel happy. So true. Like spending time with people that we like being with, like going outdoors, like listening to music. All the things that are obviously good for us, but they get crowded out as we get driven by these other ambitions. The fact you even mentioned going outdoors, but it's so true because I find myself even, I'm sure loads of people listening can relate, that when you're working so hard and so many hours, sometimes you rarely see nature every day. And, and if we're discussing money, I think let's pick money as the first okay, thing. Okay, let's start with money. Yes, because I think a lot of people define their happiness sometimes on the fact that they're earning money. And I recently also read that researchers suggested that the amount of money is the thing that can make us happy compared to just having enough and being relatively comfortable. Yeah. What so, do you think about that? So the first thing is it, it's really worth emphasising that poverty makes people miserable. Yeah. Right. That so that you know if you're and it's and it's really a lot about um, what we pay attention to. Mm. This is much more in the first book. Is you know we are what we pay attention to. How we feel and what we do is driven by where we pay attention. So yes. if you're resource uh, scarce, you, you're worrying about how you're going to pay the bills, feed the kids, pay the rent, or whatever. Mm. That's very attention seeking in negative ways. But once you get to sort of basic sort of mean levels of income, Mm. you stop paying attention to those things to the same degree and you kind of get on with more of enjoying the money, if you like. Yeah. Um, But interestingly, what could happen is as you get richer is that you might start paying attention to money in a different way. Like, uh-huh. so have I got the right investments? Do I have the right stocks and shares? And added Are we, stress. You know, and you get added stress. So, yeah. so there kind of might be, I mean, the evidence, you know, the first thing, one thing to always say is that we have no randomized control trials. So we don't allocate yes. people to different conditions. So we can't look at the true causal no. effects of income, for example, which is very hard to do. 
but but the correlations are interesting and and you know we can at least discuss what they might say and yeah. and and at some of the the higher levels of income in people's experiences of happiness there's some evidence to suggest that they actually start not only not increasing but actually decrease so mm. there might be a kind of sweet spot if you like yeah it's like that phrase um, money doesn't buy happiness no money but, um, but as I say you know poverty does buy misery well, yes. um, and um, but but it's about what you pay attention to and and, mm. and once you you know the thing the, the the reason money matters so much to us in our uh, aspirations is partly because we we want to compete with other people and and and, and you know do well relative to them mm. but also because we imagine that when we get a pay rise for example that we're going to continue to pay attention to it so it is true that when you get a pay rise you are made happy yeah, of but course. not for yeah. very long. No, it's short lived. Um, and what we don't predict is the adaptation to it, right? That if it were tr- if 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 you were to continue to pay attention to the pay rise and remind yourself how happy you were from the mm. pay rise, you would be made happy for a long mm. time. But it quickly becomes something that you withdraw attention from. The arguments that you have with your family and friends are still mm. the arguments. Pizza still tastes like pizza. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know all these things that are actually largely unaffected by yeah. by uh, income. No, and I'm really glad you've actually brought up the fact that poverty. Obviously, it's something I'm trying to talk about on this podcast a lot. That sometimes we don't choose. We don't choose the environment we're born into. We don't choose that kind mm. of thing. And the same goes for nutrition in my field. That obviously there's huge discrepancies depending on the socioeconomic group or what, where you're born, mm-hmm. what what you surround yourself with. But there is one phrase mm. that says travel is the only thing that you can buy that makes you happier. Would you agree with that? Wow, okay. I didn't I wasn't expecting I know. Tra- I know. Where, where's that come from? That's come from a little bit I yesterday. I can't remember where I pulled that out from now. Oh, no. Where'd you get that from? You you just you just made that up, didn't you? Um. <laughs> I wish I were that good. I really wish I were. Um well, I don't know. I mean it depends, doesn't it, I suppose. That's mm. what it's um well, I guess I mean if you're going to be having new experiences, right? Okay. Let's let's kind of make yes. it about that. So, yes. so we know that new experiences are generally good for us. It's one of the reasons why time passes slow passes so slowly for children. It does, yeah. It's because they're constantly doing new things. Oh. When you get older, it's oh, basically to be a child, it's like the time goes like that. There's just you know, you know it's at the just, end of the year. Yeah. Well, now I mean, like you know, when you when you're yeah. three and you're waiting for an egg to boil, it's like a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> so it's because you're constantly having new experiences, and so so having new experiences is is you know it makes us feel good. It, it, it slows it, it it kind of slows time down. So so that's right. good. So so if you travel to have a new experience, then that's good. That makes so much um, sense. Traveling. I mean, so one of the things that we know from uh, an accumulation of evidence is that when we think about the memories of experiences, we don't mm. pay very much attention to duration. Okay. So you don't remember how. So when you go on holiday, you don't remember how long you went on holiday for. You remember um, the peak experience, so the moment True. that you had a fantastic time all together as a family yes. or something, or actually maybe a really miserable time too. <laughs> um, you might remember the end experience, yeah. you know, the kind of journey home that was either good or bad, but you don't remember how long you went away for. So mm. uh, if you're going to travel, I would suggest you do it in short, short sharp bursts really organize an event that's going to be really experiential and wow. fun or even maybe purposeful um and kind of you know do it and then come home again and then that do something again quickly afterwards oh my gosh um, that's an excuse to book multitude of holidays multitude of holidays but i should say environmental impact is well, significant well, yes, right yes. so i I wouldn't be recommending people taking lots of flights. No, not weekly flights, please. The um, carbon footprint, just got to be careful. Is that the one? Well, it is. But also, I mean, also, I mean, the fact that that um, air travel is hugely subsidised. I mean, there's no tax on aviation fuel. Pollution costs are not accounted for. So 
I kind of we need to be a little bit more uh, measured Definitely. in our use of air travel. I think. I think that's a really good point to raise as well. And actually, we're we're going to do a podcast. Um, I'm not sure what time frame compared to now on climate change. Mm-hmm. So it's something we should discuss. And we know, despite the pressures on us, obviously to feel happy. So we all have days where we have negative emotions too. And from short term, I don't know, road rage or something or, or this kind of thing. <laughs> You're speaking that... from personal experience. <laughs> well, when I, when I used to try and drive in the city of London. Um, but well, to... no one should drive in London. No, that's, I know. A stu- that's a stupid thing to do in the first place. <laughs> I completely agree. I'm a big walker these days. But but there's something quite serious, like maybe grieving over a loved one. So why is it our bodies reacting this way? Is it? a good thing to feel negative emotions if we're trying to be happy yeah you want some proportionality don't you i mean if you're if you're somebody who kind of someone close to you dies and you and yeah you, and you're unaffected then there's probably something problematic in the relationships that you have yeah. i would imagine but yeah. but you know we are we are highly adaptive creatures i mean notwithstanding the fact that people experience significant uh, mental health problems over long periods mm. most people um, for significant proportions of their life actually you know deal with stuff quite well and we're we're not very good at predicting that you know we kind of imagine that something's going to happen and it's going to be awful and it's going to mm. be awful forever but but just like the pay rise wears off yeah. um yeah you know bad things wear off too mm. um and that's not to be disingenuous to to, to the really significant things that do cause mm. long-term harm but you know most things people get over relatively quickly and they mispredict that I mean, I use an analogy, and I, I'm not an expert in the subject, but with my clients in my clinic, if, they, if they're having a bad week, I, I kind of use a wave analogy saying, you know, sometimes you'll be at the peak, the crest of the wave, and then it will go down again, but it has to go up again. So it's like a philosophy that yeah, it's always evolving. Yeah, I mean, evolving. some people, there is, there is increasing evidence that there's genetic differences in, in, in the variability that people experience, right? So there's been a lot, uh, a lot of work looking at um, resilience, right? So looking at, you know, how some people react really badly to to, yes. to to the to the sort of same event that someone else doesn't react so badly to but it's actually more about sensitivity right so some people those people that react really badly to negative stuff often will be those that react really positively to positive stuff mm. and some people are just rougher seas other people are calmer oceans yeah i like um, that and i know it's good isn't it yeah that's right. um, <laughs> but but so i think that the understanding those individual differences is really important because often and you see this a lot in the, you know, sort of happiness literature is, uh, especially in the self-help genre, is this sort of one-size-fits-all approach for everybody. And and people are different. Oh, uh, we are all about being unique on this podcast. So you're in the right place. <laughs> what are your thoughts on um, the fact that gratitude is something that I know a lot of people speak about? Yes. Especially in some of these self-help books. But what are your views on gratitude and, and meditation and... Well, there is some research evidence on it. I mean, there's been some good randomised controlled trials, and mm. and you know people do generally um, uh, feel happier. You know, improve their their sense of pleasure and and their sense of purpose when they when they are reminded or when they remind themselves or have interventions to remind yeah. themselves of feeling grateful. Mm. Um, so that's good. I mean, meditation is somewhat different, I guess. It's um it's a bit more effortful um, and requires um, you know training in some sense and i think it does um, as well it's quite tricky yeah and um you know again i mean take mindfulness for example I mean, i'm sure i'm sure it's fantastic for some people mm. for me the idea of <laughs> of coming on these retreats that some of these people go and fills me with horror but um but you know but that's that's fine i some think people we can go on silent retreats si- could, could you imagine I, I couldn't personally do that i, I admire anyone you, you no i'm not uh, i mean <laughs> they go for days i know without saying a word to anyone I mean, 
but, but each to their own. But each to their own, and that's and but but we can be we can be mindful in the sense of paying attention to what we're doing and who we're with by mm. avoiding distraction. So you know we're bound to at some point get onto social media onto phones and onto te- yes, technology we, we can yeah. you know we can remove those mm. um from our experiences so that we can be mindful without having to yeah, do mindfulness yeah. i mean helping others is something i know that gives me kind of a happy feeling is that in human nature that yeah, we're what all... sort of things do you do what, what sort of things do you do <laughs> what helping others <laughs> yeah i do you know i am one of those people, people always <laughs> say that and then i wonder what they actually do <laughs> they put on the spot i'm, I'm one of those you're gonna people. make something up now aren't you? no 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 honestly i I keep a oh you're going to think I'm a cheesy person now so I keep a daily one task a day where I try and do something for someone oh, else wow. you do actually do it. I amazing. do actually do it. well today I bought this is not your average good feel good thing but I bought a pack of chocolate rice cakes for my hairdresser because I know they're her favorite and that's my fantastic. thing there you go it's, you're making me feel like such a bad person <laughs> um well helping others is yeah. really is 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 a really selfish thing to do it's really good for us it makes okay. us feel happy and so um they also benefit by the way if you're helping somebody else that wants to be helped so yeah. there's a there's a there's a massive win-win from that and mm. i think that and i do have a chapter on altruism in happy ever after yeah. where i where i sort of deconstruct this idea that that that, that helping other people sort of ought to be selfless in some mm. sense right this is sort of idea that we we shouldn't benefit ourselves from helping other people and that's completely wrong i mean yeah. the evidence is very clear that you get much more pro-sociality much more volunteering Again, you know, evidence from randomized controlled trials when you when you tap into the self-interested reasons to help other people. So I think one of the things that we can do more to help other people is to remind people how good it makes them feel themselves. Yeah, that's so true. The thing that's really, really rung true for me there is the fact that you are selfish by trying to not be selfish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind yeah. of, you've got to get your head around it a little bit. There's some weird, defini- I mean, there's some weird definitions of what we define as selfish behavior. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting that, but it, it is interesting mm. to some degree that we don't, we don't, we tend not to like people who show off about helping other people too much. Yeah. So that's quite interesting because yeah. we should be encouraging more of it and celebrating yeah. it more. So it's kind of interesting that we don't. Yeah, almost like charity work, I suppose, as well, which is um, a way I guess some people may express that. So so what are the key factors you think in a happy life? So we've discussed relationships. Oh, what about relationships with others? Which, like intimate relationships? Well, yeah, like having a partner or your best friends, um, surrounding yourself with lots of different people. Does that impact your levels every day? Well, it's day? interesting. I mean, I uh, I gave a talk at the Hay Festival recently and there was a huge amount of press interest in... I said lots of things during the course of that talk. Um, <laughs> but, but one of the things is this was in the context of the narrative around getting married and particularly for ah, women yeah. and particularly for... You know, childless women in their forties or whatever, yeah. or child-free women. I actually need yeah. to. I, I think it's better to say child-free rather than childless. Okay. Um, so child-free women in their forties are kind of often sort of looked on, you know, sort of sad, isn't it, that they haven't found anybody yet? Yeah. Um, and actually, the evidence is that you know, large numbers of them are doing perfectly well. Yeah, Again, I'm we really happy. we have no randomized controlled trials, so we don't know whether it's um, causal. But you know the evidence is is in my mind pretty clear that men benefit more from marriage than women do um and yet the sort of expectation is that women should be doing it and they they feel bad if they don't and there's lots of single women who are perfectly happy without yeah. being married and yeah um and so relationships are important to us but what single people and men too are good at doing is having good relationships with friends yes um that sometimes married people don't have right mm. you kind of marry into a family mm. yeah and then, then you're <laughs> and you're forced to take on the in-laws yeah <laughs> um you know which sometimes you like but often you know you might not and so 
You know, single people and single people use their time very well. Mm. Um, they're also much more pro-social as well. So you know, right. charities are more likely to be started yes. up by single people. They leave yeah. more money in their wills. Um, wow. to charities it's the married people that are, more, that are yes. more selfish oh I love that you've brought that up because there is a huge stigma for females in society there is isn't there they have to get married they have to have a baby before the age of 40 even and like you said people are looked upon as oh why why would you not well, choose and the, it to talk about the selfish thing I mean mm. women women that don't have children not so much men are seen as selfish as if yeah. as if as if bringing another a person into a heavily overly uh, into a heavily overly populated, populated planet world, yeah. uh, isn't a selfish thing to do it's um a talking happy ever after about this um if you have one so if you if you were to engage in half a dozen environmentally friendly behaviors that would be seen as quite significant like mm. driving half as many miles mm. next year as last year that's about 500 tons of co2 offset wow. one fewer t- one fewer child born 10,000 tons yes isn't so there are some very good environmental reasons yeah. not to have yeah. kids as well as any happiness related ones. Yeah, no. And I, again, very important to mention because it's always about as well, if we move on to another key factor, what about appreciating the really small things in life as well? Because you've mentioned about gratitude, but spending time in nature, for instance. Well, is- nature. Yeah. So there's there are some I mean, whilst it's absolutely true, there are huge individual differences. There are some things that are pretty much universally good for us. And biophilia, you know, being around nature yeah. is good. I think, you know, I think, I mean, it'd be, be over-claiming to say for all of us. Yeah. Um, but pretty much for all of us, I think. Even, yeah. for, even for those people who say, they, I don't like nature, I'm a city yeah. boy, I don't want to go outdoors. Yeah. But actually just being around trees or around I, plants oh, and stuff actually does does make people feel better, even those yeah. that imagine that it won't. Yeah, no, I was looking. So apparently there's something called fractiles, okay. which mean, um, I'm just going to try and phrase this right because I'm regurgitating information right now. I hope I get it right for my listeners. Um, when you're looking at a tree or a plant, apparently that then um, impacts your parasympathetic nervous state. There's been some research that okay. it does impact you and calm you. There you go. So it's like internal calming, just there being in nature. Yeah. And yeah. I found that absolutely fascinating. Good luck with that in central London. Well, yeah, I know. This is why I need to escape. Well, this is part... Well, actually, I mean, it's part... I'm mm. going to tell everyone to leave London, but I mean, it's part of the reason why people should leave London. Uh, I completely <laughs> yes. agree. Okay, although There's I'm biased because like, I'm not from London originally, so... But there are some good... I mean, there are... You know, it's not... It's... it's uh, most of the capital cities or large population, large urban populations, which tend to be capital cities around the world, do report the lowest levels of happiness. Wow. Uh, highest levels of happiness in the UK from the kinds of questions that I'm not a huge fan of that we mm. talked about earlier, but still we can make some inference mm. from them, are, I think, Northern Ireland and parts of Scotland. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it really does go to show. So if, that moves us on to comparing ourselves to others, yes, I think. Yes, which Being, we do in London a lot. Well, yeah, we're in such Can't a help compact yourself. environment. Yeah. I just think, um, and with social media. Yes. So let's delve into the impact of, let's do comparing first, yep. and then we'll discuss the internet world. Yeah, I think that will naturally go into it, yes. because I think social media magnifies those kinds of comparisons. Yes. I mean, look, we, we, we've, prob- you know, we've probably evolved to compete and compare we get better mates if we're successful so the question then is on on what dimensions do we compare and compete mm. and um it could be possible as we talked a bit earlier that, that, that to make it around pro-sociality so if you you know if you type into google who pays the most tax you do not get a name of anybody you get how to make how you get tax avoidance schemes you get um, which countries have the lowest tax rates. Really? If you put into Google who's the richest, well, it's man largely in yeah. the world, you immediately get Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. Of course, come up. Yeah. You immediately 
get information on who's the richest. Yeah. Um, so we could reframe that, but 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 that comparison is 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 really significant. And you can imagine an analogy of being stuck in a traffic jam. Okay. With two lanes. Yeah. Okay. You're in one lane. Both of you, both lanes have stopped. Yeah, yeah. The other lane that. starts moving. Oh, the worst feeling in right. the world. Right. So, well, it, so there's two things. There's two things at play. Okay. Uh, but the most prominent one is, fuck, I wish I was in the other I lane. I know, I know. Right? How can I get that's, there? That's the one. And that's that's the comparison one where yeah. other people doing better than you yes. makes you feel really bad. Yeah. There's actually, though, a signaling effect going on, which is positive, which if they're moving, we're going to be moving soon too. Hmm. So in some poorer countries in the world and parts of the world in rural china and india for example when other people's income rises there's sometimes there's sometimes a positive effect on your own happiness because it's a signal that you're going to get richer but most of the time in most countries and especially in the uk the comparison effect is exactly the one that you immediately thought of is i wish i was in the other lane so so that comparison um you know and and there's some really good data that you know shows for example that um if um if you're if you have a lottery winner in your neighbourhood, then the likelihood of bankruptcies being filed in that coming twelve months increases. Oh, right. So as if other people are sort of a sort of uh, uh, there's a contagion effect. It's literally yeah. like pollution. Yeah. That this other person, this this rich person, pollutes you. Yes. In a way that makes you feel like you need to need to try and keep up. Isn't that? I've read a lot about lottery winners. I don't know why. I've maybe <laughs> actually maybe it was also because I'd seen a program on TV talking about the lives after they mm. won the lottery, and I was like, yeah. "Ooh, how interesting!" But it must be really, really difficult that sudden change of lifestyle, and for the people, the people around you as well. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. But with comparison on, on social media. Yeah. So I'm a big, big fan of supporting other people and I've got lots of friends and I'm genuinely from a good place very happy for them. But sometimes you cannot help and it must happen, I would say, at least once a day 
where you look through social media, you see likes on someone else's page or you see what someone's up to or they're away on holiday here and you just feel pretty rubbish. I mean, how do you even describe that and how can we move away from <clears throat> seeking approval? Or I know. Well, it's in, I mean, social media, like, I mean, of course, like mo most things are never are never good or bad in themselves. Mm. It's the way in which we we use them and 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 in relation to the narratives for example it could be that social media is very helpful in insofar as if you are different in some way mm. you can find lots more different people out there now mm. in a way that you couldn't before you were the only one in the village True. so, so yeah. now you can find lots yeah. of other yeah. people like it you it has created careers online so mm. so you can be different and um sort of celebrate some of that variation yeah. and meet more. friends that you wouldn't have had that are like-minded exactly exactly but counterbalancing that and probably overwhelming it mm. is the magnification of these narratives right so you know weddings for example before mm. people used to show off spending a fortune for 100 people that turned up yeah. now they can show off not only to those 100 people but to all their instagram followers yeah um and so there's a kind of magnification of this there's comparison. also a pressure on people to showcase this so people asking, oh, when are you going to show photos of your wedding? Or what are you going to be wearing? It's very interesting. Well, you know, there's data to show that the more you spend on your wedding, the more likely you are to get divorced. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. I mean, part, lots of different reasons. I mean, obviously, partly debt, of course. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, one reason yeah, yeah, of course. But, but, but that sort of public um, kind of affirmation that's mm. required in order to show that you love somebody you need the rest of the world to see it like uh, a spread in okay mag that you see these celebrities having yeah, it must you kind be of do what is that sort of a bit protesting too much isn't it yeah it, it must be um i couldn't even put myself in the shoes of, of of that sort of relationship having everybody in the world kind of make a judgment <sighs> about you and your life and the expectations but how do we move away from it then what can we do to be truly happy in ourselves well with social media i think it requires regulation i mean i I, you I, I i you know i i mean we've got a daughter who's going to be starting secondary school this year so it's very uh pertinent for us it does oh, seem gosh. that some of the i mean again there's no randomized controlled trials in it and it does all to do with content it's not just how long people spend mm. on social media but there is some evidence suggesting it's more harmful for teen and preteen girls than it is for boys who seem to be largely unaffected uh, on on average is that by from this. a body image perspective health status i think it's just i mean who Mental knows health? i mean of yeah. course these things there's huge variations within genders uh, mm. that to sort of talk about girls and boys as distinct yeah. groups is kind of doing it and a disservice but but the way that girls tend to interact with one another, mm. um, as they always have in social environments mm. as well, but it's sort yeah. of magnified again in social media. It could be quite pernicious. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, you know, that's kind of hard for girls to navigate their way through that. And so, you know, I think like with smoking, mm. um, you know, we're going to require regulation yeah. to, to, to limit the use of the types of content that, that young people, whilst brains are still being developed, see well, that's, that's the thing. When we don't have the data, so you're, you yeah. you probably got your. When did you get a smartphone? How old were you? Oh gosh, um, I think that. So I used to have a Nokia thirty three ten when I was about fifteen, fourteen. I had snakes that game on it. I think I got my first iPhone and I was like nineteen. Yeah, so you. Were, so so I just missed the. So your brain hasn't fully developed at yeah. that stage. It takes to about your mid twenties, but it's pretty much there. Mm. But if you'd got that phone five, seven years before, Oof. 
very different, very different mm. uh, impact that it may have had on you yeah. because you're essentially your brain is more vulnerable to, to 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 those kinds of um, influences. So. It's a fascinating area, and we don't know until we see a before and after. I suppose. Well, until we see the harm. I mean, that's what, yeah. and that's why it's a bit like smoking because we kind of knew correlationally and actually there was there was some good trials as well but we knew about smoking mm. long before we did anything about yeah, it yeah 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 and we're kind of we're sort of going to be left in the same people people may well ask in a decade or two's time why didn't you do something sooner mm. I know. Um, for me, obviously, in my nutrition clinic, the nutrition clinic, we get a lot of people that are now being referred from, um, I don't know, various schools around the country, boarding schools, people mm. getting in touch because the schools have been monitoring the social media accounts somehow. I don't know how they do that, but they're picking up on perhaps pro-anorexic accounts or yeah. different, you know, different fields and different areas that are really, really worrying mm. and damaging and i think it's about time we get this regulation we've been waiting for so many well years. we can't what's really telling isn't it there's lots of things that are really telling but one mm. thing that's really telling is that these tech giants themselves don't let their children go anywhere near their own technologies ah, yeah yeah how do you how do you know this how <laughs> they've obviously got the right idea <laughs> so what causes our mindset to change as we get older then compare a child's mind like you said yeah why is it so different to an adult's mindset oh, i don't know that's a really good question i'm not a i mean i'm not a gerontologist i'm not i'm not <laughs> into uh, i really uh, do a lot of life course research i mean there's more plasticity isn't there i yeah. guess i mean but there's still plasticity in, in older people's yeah. brains much more than we kind of anticipate we kind mm. of imagine that we become fixed immovable people as we're mm. into adulthood but that's actually not true our minds are quite plastic yeah but there must be more plasticity in in children yeah um but i do think this uh we, i mean we tend to see um, a diminishing of uh, arousal in in, mm. in 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 older groups. There's more of a reporting of contentment and calm than there is in younger people. But yeah. that's not true for everybody. I mean, some no. people still remain excitable, of course, um, when they get older. And that's why music's so important. I think we need to, we must, we must say something about music. Please because do. It's one of my favourite things because there is so much evidence on the beneficial effects of music. It literally yes. is the only stimulus that lights the whole brain up. Wow. It literally lights the whole brain up. Yeah. Music therapy has been used in a whole range of different environments with yes. different different treatments and conditions. But we all know mm. if we listen to music that we enjoy, of course yeah. people have different music tastes, but yeah, they do. listen to music <laughs> that, that they enjoy, yeah. you feel good. Mm. And you don't feel good just for the time that no. you're listening to it. You feel good afterwards. So, so when I say some of these things, I say listen to more music, people say, well, that's fucking amazing. You're a genius. <laughs> well, you, I, I need you to tell me that i said well why don't you do more of it mm, then mm. um and it's because we're not designing our environments no. we're not making it easy the simple behavioral science lesson is if you want to do something make it easy yeah and if you don't want to do something make it hard i, I love and that, that. it's yeah. a basic sort of you know 101 mm. insight but so but we don't make it easy no. for ourselves to do the things that are going to no. make us feel good and what you may not you may not know about me is i'm actually an ex professional singer so i'm a soprano by oh, trade wow, okay. yeah so before i trained to be a nutritionist and one of the activities i set my clients now especially if i'm looking with disordered eating behaviors right. is i ask them to play music while they're eating their meal because it as you said i didn't know that it lit up the whole brain but mm. i knew that it enabled my clients to actually finish their meal or really enjoy the food more That's that so they're eating so, so do they pay attention to the music yeah they the listen more to the music and it right. helps distract from any unwanted um negative voices you know an inner critic inside the head it's particularly so these are people that wouldn't be wanting to eat the food precisely, otherwise, a right. negative relationship with right. food and it's such a beneficial exercise i find it works with everyone and even singing so i do a lot of singing workshops when i go go away or do talks and things or get people to breathe 
it gets people going. It really changes the energy in the room. It's amazing. So, yeah, what you've just said just makes a lot of everybody. I think you should just sing in your shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's about the best place for me to sing because people wouldn't want to hear it publicly. I'd love to be able to sing. Yeah, it's... I would literally give a limb, probably. Really? Or maybe a finger. Maybe a limb's too oh, much. Oh, wow, yeah. But I'd love to be... Or maybe three or four fingers. But I'd love to be able to sing at weddings and stuff yeah, or parties yeah. and not, not be everyone turning and looking at me like, oh, my God. <laughs> Do you know, one thing I always say to people that say that, because I am very blessed, it's I'm so... <laughs> you are blessed, you're so lucky. Lucky, yeah. And I, lo- I do love singing at weddings and different events. Um, I've sung at many places in my career. <laughs> but I say everyone can sing. It's just some people have a different, more pleasing kind of sound to others. It doesn't mean you can't do it yeah, you, still get, been, <laughs> still, you still get I did get a singing lesson bought for me though once did years you? ago because my voice was so bad Okay. and he did say he was pressing the keys and I was making some noises and he said uh, yeah we could have a lot of lessons and you wouldn't get very much better so. well to be honest this is a case of the next question which is the grass is always greener so perhaps yeah. if you could sing you, you never know you might not well I doubt it but some people may not enjoy it if they could but why is it that we often want what we can't have them why does why does that happen? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there must be something. I mean, we we we're largely an optimistic species because we would never have um, explored mm. new territories and new terrains if we hadn't been optimistic. Like yes. There's something that you know the grass is greener. Yes, and so that motivates us to action. Ah. to go and try new things. Like and we are about the holidays. Yeah, and we are largely largely optimistic. I mean, there is an optimism bias amongst the human condition generally on average, right? Mm. So so, so we kind of do expect things to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that motivates action. So so that would that would partly um, explain it. But the downside, I suppose, but, but the downside is you sort of imagine it's about where you think attention is going to be um, allocated. So if you imagine mm. someone else like, so I say that, Oh, if I could sing, I'd be happy. Yeah. And I'm going to think about and paying attention to singing yeah. all the time in my mm-hmm. life when I can sing. And of course I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Pizza still tastes like pizza. People yes. would still get on my nerves. Yes. I mean, so, you know, that, so, the, so, the, so you kind of mispredict mm. uh, where attention is going to be, uh, you know, focused. And yeah. that's why people imagine that rich people, for example, are always happy because they're, they're thinking about how rich they are. Yeah, but, but no, they're not. not at all. No, that makes sense. And the last question I kind of have from me is laughter. Laughter, yes. Yes. There's something Why don't about... we talk about that more? I think we should because I find some days I realised, I realised in the hairdresser actually earlier, I haven't laughed yet today because we had a little giggle. I was like, oh, it's the first time I've laughed today. Does that impact happiness? Yeah, even a false smile does, right? So if you hold a pencil in your teeth <laughs> and put a fake smile on, it yeah. elevates your mood. It's interesting because I... Um, one of the things about academic... I mean, I love being an academic. Yeah. Um, I'm not always such a big fan of other academics. Um, and, I think that's uh, probably a unanimous thing <laughs> amongst academics. <laughs> well, they're very serious and very intense, and you know it is important work. Mm. You know, but you can still sometimes have a laugh. Yeah, about it and about yourself, and be completely self-deprecating and kind of. <laughs> You know, and and that's okay, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't do a disservice. And I notice this much more in North America, although it's just to, to some large extent true in the UK. Is that so? If you laugh at your work or something, then it sort of makes it devalued in some way. And of mm. course, that's not true. It's, mm. uh, 
No, I've had a similar battle here uh, with being a health professional that wants to have a bit of fun sometimes. It's, it's difficult. Some people won't take you as seriously if you are seen yeah. to have a bit of a laugh sometimes. It's a hard balance to strike. It is. And also, you know, this because this plays into these narratives. You know, you're know, you mm. expected to behave in particular ways. Yeah, you're expected to wear a lab coat your profession. you yeah, are Yeah, I mean, you know, as I've... You know, it's on public record that I don't read novels. My God, mm. I mean, can you? Make, I mean, I the abuse I've got really from people. Well, because LSE professors, I mean, yeah. God, they must read. I mean, I think people sometimes don't understand that there's a difference between novels and books. I yeah. do read lots of nonfiction. Yeah, just don't read novels. But 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 somehow my life is completely empty by not doing what's expected of me oh, yeah. in my you know uh, job, and it's um yeah, or you know, going to the. Gym. I mean, it's a weird thing for academics to work out, by the way. I don't understand this either and also yeah I've had a similar I mean situation. bodybuilding is not a middle class uh, you know um, uh, pastime at no. all anyway if you've ever no. been to any you know, bodybuilding competitions they're all working class people yeah. but to be an academic and yeah. do bodybuilding I mean that's just like I mean that's, yeah. you know like you're judged for yeah, doing that whereas if I played I don't know croquet or tennis or something that would be <laughs> that golf. would be fine or golf there you go <laughs> or golf that, 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 that would all be fine so yeah. so there's some real expectations not only about how people should live their lives in work but what they should do with their leisure time yeah no, it, it's true. And I think, again, this must all be impacting our happiness immensely. So that moves me on to questions we've got from some followers. Oh, OK. So you won't have seen these, but I've got them all in front of me now. So Laura has asked, how can I ensure I don't have any regrets when I'm on my deathbed? Gosh, that's a very serious question. Mm. I want to make sure I've lived my life to the full. I mean, do you have the answer there? Yeah, I mean, I would say not to worry too much about your deathbed. Yeah. Because um, uh, that, that would be privileging one moment over all others okay and it's not obvious that we should privilege the deathbed over other moments mm. but insofar as you are going to regret things you regret unresolved uncertainties mm. so it's that sort of Im imagination about what could have been uh. were, were it to happen rather than mm. what did happen because if it happens then again you know most things um, we make sense of and we deal with and mm. we interpret in ways that actually make us mm. in the end feel better in yeah. some sense, right? Yeah. Um, but it's the sort of niggle, niggling unresolved uncertainties. What happened yeah. if I what would happen if I'd done that instead? So yeah. so generally I would think if you're thinking of doing something, okay. do it. Do it. That's the do best it. example. Live your life. Because the every worst day. that can happen is you don't like it, you don't do it again, and you exactly. find some way of resolving it to make sense of why you did it. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, good, good answer. Very thorough answer, Anastasia. Yeah, no, it was very. I was very impressed. <laughs> it's the first time you've been impressed in this no, whole thing. No, don't be. <laughs> Thanks I'm, for that. It's taken you forty minutes to be impressed. <laughs> I am. I am immensely impressed. Um, oh, whatever. Anastasia said, "If I lose a bit, of, oh, this is a good one. If I lose a bit of weight, uh -huh. I know I'll be happier. Uh -huh. I mean, I hear this a lot, yeah. um, but I know it's it's so difficult. Where could I be going wrong?" Well, first of all, that it's exactly it speaks directly to that prediction error that I yep. was talking about before. You imagine you're going to be paying attention to something when it changes. So when yeah. I'm rich or when I've lost weight, but you're just going to be you're just going to recalibrate in a mm. sense what where, where you are. You know where you are. Pizza's still going to taste like pizza. Friends are still going to annoy you. And yeah. and and actually, there's a very very weak association between happiness and weight. I mean, morbid okay. obesity is is bad for people because they can't really do very much. But yeah. but you know, kind of 
there's a judgment that we make about other people, particularly mm. people that are overweight mm. and obese, that they must be miserable because look at them. Which is but terrible actually, in society. They're not. No. They're not. This is what I call again, and it, it ties very nicely into fat shaming, which is a topic we're going to discuss yeah. as well. Because how can you possibly judge someone on their size? No, well, I totally agree. I mean, I've talked a lot about that in the health chapter in Happy Ever After. I mean, mm. we make these huge... What it, So what, what it is, is that I think that happens is that we have... Sometimes we have an, a, a sort of system one, like an immediate reaction mm. to something that we don't like, for example. And then we sort of try and find justifications and validation for that. Yes. So people will say, obesity costs the NHS a fortune. Mm. Well, actually, does it? Compared to all those people being skinny and living a lot longer mm. and um, spending a lot of money on social care and other okay. care costs, there's, mm-hmm. no one's actually really done a proper, as mm. far as I can tell, Comparison. an appraisal of yeah. what the world would look like in the counterfactual. Mm. But then we look for validations. Oh, well, well they must be miserable. Well, actually, yeah. no, again, you know, they're not. And I say obesity and morbid obesity has long-term consequences that people might want to avoid. But yeah. being a little bit overweight yeah, stuff I know. is absolutely I know. fine. I mean, you know, they, people are fine. We shouldn't judge them no. for not being and so. And this is the societal norm. But you definitely, I don't think um, just losing weight will make anyone happier at all. It, it, that's something like we've discussed is unique to And it's you. also the thing, I mean, this is really, I mean, this is quite almost like, like not meant to be pessimistic, but, but the chances of you sustain, I mean, you know this, that once you've gained weight, of losing it and keeping it off are very, very small. Tight in the percentage. epidemiological data, probably somewhere between, at 5% at most, yeah. probably about 1%. Keep it off. You know, keep it off because, because as you know, you physiologically mm. change. Yeah. Um, and, and the require your caloric requirements when you, when you're, when you've been fat and now you're mm-hmm. not are less. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, I mean, not a case of giving up, but accepting the fact that probably yeah. this is going to be, and there's different elements. Is. You mentioned you were speaking at Hay Festival as well. So we had Professor Giles Yeo on. I don't know if you got to meet him there, but I he's did. a geneticist and right. he was talking a lot about different weight interactions yeah. and how we, we've all even got genes that can yeah. dictate our appetite and our weight and so many things. But another question we've got, there's also gosh, very good questions today, guys. Um, I can relate to this. Every time I finish a project, this is from Noel, mm. I feel really happy. But then it goes so quickly that I can't wait to set myself another goal to smash. Why am I never truly satisfied and fulfilled? <laughs> well, maybe no, maybe Noel, Noel needs lots of goals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, some people are more goal, you know, again, accept, I think mean, kind of accepting things about ourselves is yes. really important, acceptance. right? You know, I mean, acceptance is just like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that just needs lots of projects and goals. Yeah. But you can be too goal directed. It's, it's really interesting that we talk a lot about people who have no ambition, no goals. Mm. We focus much more attention on those people, but the obsessives yeah. that kind of require constant, constant goals. Yeah, and it's a really cliched and really cliche thing to say, but it's the journey, not the destination. Yes. So yes. you know, you kind of really need to enjoy. Yeah. The Moment. process of getting there. Yeah. Um, there was an interesting. Um, school of thought and one of the the master practitioner I I, um, Mm. completed in the psychological interventions to eating Mm. disorders and I'm not saying this is gospel at all but people that choose to do marathons consistently there's something about them where they need to be punishing their body almost or achieving such a high standard consistently that they are more likely to engage in disordered eating behaviors yeah Yeah. well it's an it's 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 a fixation on achievement and Mm. accomplishment i mean running marathons is very silly anyway it's very difficult (laughs) for your body (laughs) to um it's not great you know in most extreme mountaineers right yeah they literally die yeah 
I mean, mountaineers die. There's, I mean, that's there's what you a do. huge you stop start, isn't there? Everest every year, people that don't you make know, it. And you know, and they don't even enjoy it, right? No. Because I think about, what, three quarters or, or four-fifths of accidents happen on the way down, not on the way up. Oh, really? So you don't enjoy the summit oh, because the worst bit's yet to come. Yeah. They get off the mountain, they'll all say never again, and within weeks they're climbing another yeah. mountain. So it's like a pathology. Yeah. Um, this sort of need to constantly mm. be accomplishing and oh, achieving gosh well that moves me on to my favorite part of our podcast which okay. is our fact or fiction round oh my god okay so you didn't tell me about any of this i know oh god we're nearly done right it's yeah, done. We're Actually, nearly I, done. I need to go sorry yeah. Yeah, we haven't got time for this <laughs> so you have to answer fact <laughs> or fiction That's i'm not letting you out of like this a... one all right go on then get your water make sure yeah, you're settled you're going to okay. give me a little nod like, to let me know which, which it is. Right. No, you, this is, no you're all on, on your own. own. You're on okay. your own. Are you ready? Yeah, go on then. Okay. Go on then. Happiness is a choice. Oh, my God. Is that a fact? I mean... You can say Oh, come on. I fiction. can't say... I mean, oh, come on. You can't expect an academic to pick one or other. <laughs> I, this is what makes it a fun round. You, you oh, can explain a little bit. Do, or, no, I can't. I mean, I, I, right to my first answer, a bit of both faction. I mean, I can't, of course. Perfect. Um, more money makes us happy. Um, <laughs> yes, if you're poor. No, if you're rich. Okay. Um, we shouldn't rely on others to make us happy. Uh, yeah, we should. I mean, we, but we do need to. We do need other people. We yeah. are happy when we're around other people. I'm not entirely Buddhist in this sense. Yeah, yeah. No, everyone has the potential to be happy. Uh, yeah, uh, f- f- fact. I'm so pleased. It's a fact. L- largely fact. <laughs> Okay, largely fat. Let's take that one. It's the simple things that make us happy. Yeah, facts. Let's go for that. Definite fact. I'm getting into this now. Great. Happiness takes time to cultivate. No, you can do it quickly. Fiction. Love. It is possible to be happy every single day. (sighs) No. I'm no, really relieved well, you just said that fiction because <laughs> I, I sometimes I'm like I can't. That's a, that's, yeah, that's a bit. That's kind of expecting a bit much, isn't it? Yeah. You need a partner to be happy. Fiction. You're either happy or you're not. Fiction. Comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, largely fact. Okay. Well done. That was our yeah. quick fire that, round. Oh, cool. You yeah. completed the fact or fiction <laughs> round. So that nearly wraps up our episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today would be that there is now more pressure than ever before to be healthy and happy. And yet we seem to have lost the concept of balance and any happy in between. So much of the advice we receive these days about our physical and mental health points to extreme approaches like we've just discussed. But the reality is that balance, variety and enjoyment are important in leading a happy and healthy life. So we should all be encouraging and supporting each other to live a lifestyle that makes us feel great. So live your life, if you can, free from social comparisons. And it sounds very, you know, all wishy-washy, but it's very true. Poor health and a terrible diet because just because someone's influential and has decided to give up carbs or follow a trend, it doesn't mean it's right for you. You are all completely unique, just as if you are a vegan or a vegetarian. No one should dictate your lifestyle choice and how you should change your personal diet. It's important that you do you. And that's not only true of your diet, but in all other aspects of your life too. So, Paul, if I could ask you to share one... I thought we were done. You yeah, don't, you're don't, nearly don't done. Don't let up, do you? I, know, I, thought, I was listening to your final... <laughs> that was that was absolutely brilliant. I thought that, that well, was it. Now what are you going to ask I'm very prepared. I want you to leave our listeners with one food for thought that you think everyone <sighs> should take away about happiness or about anything really you think could benefit them listening. 
Can I make it about what they what they think about other people? I Definitely. think I think it's to just ease off on the judgments 100%. that we make of other people. I love. That. I think that will make us feel happier, and it will make them feel happier too. Just let up and just you know let people live lives that are best for them that yeah. may not be the same as the way that you live. I actually think that was a pretty beautiful food for thought. Um, Paul, thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. It really is heartening to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there and hopefully help more people. So we'd really appreciate it. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com, subscribe to my newsletter, and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube.